Well, is it officially summer? I mean, it's supposed to be in the 90s today, right? See, I think when you get past about 82 degrees, it should be officially summer. No matter what. No matter if that's January or whatever. That, that means over in Africa, it's like officially summer all year round. <laughs> right? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that, that, that's all right. You, you could probably tell if you listen to me at all that I'm a winter guy. Although, really not in Delaware. I, it was cool in Colorado because you get a lot of snow. Here it's just cold. And then it'll rain and be cold, right? But, uh, you know, give me snow. I love snow. Although I, I, do, like, I do like the summertime when uh, you get to do more things. But we are continuing in Colossians, but I love what God does. I love what God does because he's been working on my heart and we've been talking about this for forever, right? About relationship. And, and what Jesus does is he gives you little pieces. And, and it's, it's almost like, uh, for, forgive the, uh, the, the expression of this, but it's kind of like feeding a baby. And, and I feel like that's what he's been doing for me in my walk and just, giving me pieces, giving me pieces, giving me pieces, and then all of a sudden it's like you put it together. You put together some things. I had an epiphany this morning during worship, as a matter of fact, and, and this, this idea of relationship with Jesus Christ, this idea of what he wants, and he ties it in to the commandments, and I want you to turn real quick. We're going we're gonna to stay in Colossians, but I want to turn real quick to Matthew chapter 22. And you all have heard this. Jesus, in a couple different places, talks about, he has asked, what is the greatest commandment of all? You know, if, if, which I always thought was funny. What, what's the motivation behind the person asking that? It's like, Lord, if I do just one, what's the greatest one of the ten that I should do? Right? You know, I, you can imagine what what this uh, this uh, rat, uh, this person that was asking him, this scribe that was asking him that, and uh, and Jesus says this, Matthew chapter twenty two verse thirty seven. Now I do find it interesting that it in this case it's a lawyer that asked him the question, so so perhaps he's trying to figure out a way to get around. That, because that's kind of what lawyers do, right? Verse 37 says this, And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And he didn't stop there. He said, And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And I love how he capped it off in verse 40. On these two commandments depends all the law and the prophets. In other words, what he's saying there is, I took all of the law, not, not just the Ten Commandments, right? All of the law, all in how he taught Israel how to be, how to draw close to him, draw close to the coming Messiah, all of the law, and wrapped it up into two statements. He said, love me with everything you have. Love me. But the second is like it. Love each other. 
And so we've been talking about this idea of relationship with Jesus Christ. And when you think you get it down, then perhaps you're ready for him to reveal a little bit more. And, and I've shared part of my testimony uh, when it, uh, I shared with some people just, just yesterday this regard, regarding how God worked in me. I grew up, and even as a young man, younger man than I am now, <laughs> I grew up with just selective love. Okay, and I don't mean people loving me. I mean me, li- me loving people. I didn't really understand what love was, what it meant to love people, right? I was really good at loving the people I wanted to love. Really good at loving my family. Really good at loving my friends, the people that I enjoyed being around. And not that I didn't, you know, that I had a disdain for everybody else. It's not that. It, It was more of an indifference. It was more that, well, you know... God doesn't have them in my circle of whatever, my reality. So, so it's not that I don't love them. It's not that I love them. It's just they're just there, right? And, and I, think, I think most of us are that way, right? But God, and I shared this, that one of the things that really stuck with me, and this was, wow, this was 25 years ago, 20, 20 years ago maybe, something like that. But my pastor, who was my best friend at the time, uh, Tom Ward Sr., he, he, uh, uh, I was asking him about being a pastor and, and feeling called, because I, I felt called my whole life to be in the ministry, and, and feeling called to, to be, in, be in the ministry, I asked him, as my pastor, I said, I said, do you think God could be calling me to be a pastor? And <laughs> you really expect certain answers, right? Especially from a pastor, I thought he would put his, his arm around me and, and, and just say, you know, yes, and let's work on this. And, you know, here's some. And he just looked me square in the eye and he said, no. No, I don't see that at all. And my reaction was, oh, okay. And then he proceeded to tell me why. He said, because you don't know how to love everybody. He said, as a pastor, you've got to learn how to love everybody, not just selective people. And, and I remember that moment not understanding what he was talking about. But I'll tell you what, I just praise God for that moment. I praise God for Tom Ward. I praise God for what he poured in. See, he could have done just the opposite, thinking... You know, well, I, I want him further in ministry. I want the, I put his arm around him and just let me pull him in because I need him to do stuff. But he didn't. See, he truly cared for me. He truly told me the truth. He said, if you want to be a pastor, well, there's this foundational thing you got to learn. And the thing that's sad is so many pastors don't learn that. Well, I've told you the story before, but, but God then took me on this, this road that lasted years, years in understanding what it meant to fall in love with people. And it wasn't until I met Jeff Wissett when he and I built this relationship, 
well, long before I started going to life. We built this relationship, and what I was drawn into was the understanding of what love was with everybody. Didn't matter. Didn't matter who. And I thank God for Jeff Wissett for what he taught me in that. Because over the course of about seven to eight years, my eyes were open to understanding what love really is. That it's not picking and choosing who you want to love. But it is falling in love with everybody. And it took me back to what we just read. See, we're supposed to love everybody. We're supposed to love God. And we, we all kind of get that one, right? I mean, it, it kind of defeats the purpose if you don't love your creator. The one that you serve. The one that you believe in. The one you accept into your heart. That one's easy. But I think that's why Jesus said, and by the way, there's another one that's just as important because it's, it's all wrapped together and it's loving each other. Boy, that one's, that one's a lot harder because, see, we're different. We all like different things. More than that, we all have things that annoy us in different ways. Okay? It doesn't mean that we can't love. And, and so the epiphany that he gave me this morning is something he's been teaching me over the last several weeks and months. And that is the idea that relationship is about engaging in love. You know, we talk about unity. I was involved in a, in a retreat just recently, that I thought it was going to be about something else. I thought it was going to be about the Lord speaking and giving direction and here's your battle plans and this is what you need to do and, and laying everything out. And I was excited. Going into the retreat, I, I'm just, awesome, speak. Give me my book, right? Give me what you want to give me. Give me what I need to know. And I was excited about it. And then day one went by and nothing. Okay, okay. well maybe we just kind of needed a, a warm-up, Lord. You know, whatever. We'd, we'll do some worship, get a little warm-up, get you speaking. <laughs> right? <laughs> and it didn't happen. And throughout that day, I became more and more frustrated and, and admittedly, I became frustrated with God. Wait a second, Lord. I had this expectation that you're going to speak to me because you have things for us to do. Creation is coming up in two weeks. Lord, you, you got that, right? That's two weeks. Two weeks. We're supposed to do the Passion Intensive for all of the people that end up coming and getting saved. Now, in reality... Maybe 20 will come. Okay, but maybe 10,000 will come. <laughs> okay, I, I'm good with the 20. I know what to do with them. Lord, I'm not sure what to do if 10,000 come. You know, because there's anywhere from 50 to 70,000 people at creation. And everyone who comes forward to accept Jesus Christ into their heart will be invited to this passion intensive that we're doing the next day. 
And that's about this, this focused discipleship training to give them a jump start, right? This is what God has told us we're going to do. This tiny little church in a living room. <laughs> we're the majority of the prayer team for all of creation. How crazy is that? So, so, I'm, so I'm thinking, Lord, two weeks. <laughs> two weeks, I need a little bit more to go on here. Give me something. That's a, that was, I was just so excited coming into this. And again, it didn't happen. And then he told me why. He said, I brought you together because I need you to have unity. Oh, wait, wait a second, Lord. We, we have unity. We, we, we care about one another. We, we, we are focused on the same goals. How much more unity do you need? We're going the same direction. We understand the same things that you want us to do. What, isn't that unity? No, it isn't unity. Going the same direction doesn't mean you understand the person next to you. Going the same direction doesn't mean you end up in the same place. See, what he wanted me to understand is unity is about relationship. Unity within this church here, within Ignition Church, we've all talked about the calling. We know what the calling is. We know what the Lord has said he's going to do here. Lord, why haven't you done it? Why haven't you done it? All these things that you have said, we're ready, Lord. And it's just like a father looking at a son that's so eager to move and yet is missing that one little thing. And he said, it's relationship. See, you, you keep focusing and in a good way. It's good to focus on relationship with Jesus Christ. But he said, there's another part of it that you keep closed off to. And by the way, sorry to pull you all into this, but when he's talking to me, he's talking to you. That he needs us to have relationship together. See, it's not enough to have the same goals. It's not enough to have the same end direction in mind. Well, Lord, this is the ministry you want. This is what you want to do. This is what you've said you're going to do. We're all marching in the same direction. See, think of it in terms of an army. Why do you think a SEAL team is limited in numbers? Why do you think a focused army attack group is limited in numbers? Because for them to be effective, they can't just know their job. They can't just know the goal or the end plan, what they want to achieve. They have to know how to work together. They have to know each other so well that they know each other's reactions to a given situation. Any of you that have been married for any length of time, you know that this automatically begins to, to teach you lessons throughout life. Because you begin to learn the other person. You begin to learn their likes, their dislikes. You begin to learn their heart. You begin to learn what, what their buttons are. Right? And then you have that choice. <laughs> they just upset me. Punch. Right? You learn these things. By the way, that's me punching her buttons. She doesn't punch mine. 
See, it's learning each other. It's understanding that relationship is with the bride. You know, we have this huge calling, this huge calling about bringing the bride together, uniting the bride. And, and I've been so focused on just the details of how he wants us to step in that faith without really understanding or seeing the, the, the real ingredients for that to happen. And, and the ingredients for that to happen is to come together in unity, to get to know one another, because we're all so different. If, if it happens in this church, and we're all different in this small church, you can imagine why Satan has had a field day with the churches. He's had a field day with the entire bride. Why they don't get along. Why this church doesn't talk to this church even though they believe 99% of the same thing. Or perhaps even 100% of the same thing. But they don't play well together. Right? And what Jesus is saying is, I am here to unite the bride. I am here to bring my bride and ready my bride so that what? So that he could be with his bride. He doesn't want to be with a disjointed bride. He wants to be with a bride that is ready for him. Ready to be unified with him. That means we have to be unified together. That's relationship. So again, when, when I finally got that, that's when the Lord spoke. That's when he spoke. That's when he began to share the plan. Because, see, the plan can't come before the relationship. It's just like in your own life, relationship with Jesus Christ. The knowledge can't come before the relationship. It can't be greater than the relationship. Knowing the word of God. I know, I know a man, and we, those of us who have who've been to Nigeria, we know a man that has the entire New Testament memorized, and much of the Old Testament. It's crazy. It's, it's amazing. He, he can stand there, and you give him the, a chapter, and he'll just start rattling it off. Perfect. If he didn't have relationship, which he does, by the way, because he, he is one of Ignition's emissaries there. If he didn't have a relationship, that knowledge wouldn't do him the same good. Do you see what I'm saying? So it's that relationship that we focus on. But then, then we're so focused on our relationship with Jesus Christ. And he's saying, I need you all to be together in this. If I'm building an army and you're going to be part of this army, you have to understand that you have to know each other in close relationship. We've talked about us being like a SEAL team, and I've used those examples all the time. They train together to know how to react in certain situations, right? That's what we're doing. We're training together to know how to act in certain situations, when somebody's down, we lift them up. When somebody's running or having a difficulty, you don't just let them be. 
And, well, okay, you know, hopefully they'll be okay, and when they re-engage, then we'll be right there again. No, you don't do that. They're, they're family. They're part of the bride. We pray for them. We pray for those who can't even be with us, like Carson, who's watching online. I'm so thankful to see Angela here today. That, I, I can't even tell you how much that lifted my heart to see you walk in. Because we have been praying for you faithfully. See, that's what the body does. That's what a family does. It doesn't matter proximity. It matters love. That's why in 1 Corinthians 13, love covers everything. Why? It's not because, well, well, love covers all sin and love covers this mistake and that mistake. No, it's the ingredients of love and the application of love in relationship together that covers it. Why? Because when you love somebody, you put up with a whole lot more than if you don't love somebody. I mean, bottom line, that's why if, you, if you're, for me, to be a pastor, if I didn't love somebody, then I wouldn't care. Well, they're just screwing. Okay, fine, I'll, I'll deal with these people. Right? And, and it's so sad that so many do that, and it's the cyclical over and over thing. But see, it's not just for a pastor. It's for everyone. When we understand that loving each other is the real ingredient for moving forward, we will move forward in power. We will move forward with purpose. And, and by the way, we are doing that. God has built, that's what he's been doing. I want you to recognize that because, because very soon it's not going to look like this. Very soon, there's going to be infused in hundreds and hundreds and thousands of different people. So he's trying to get us ingrained in our head right now that relationship, not just with God, but with each other, is critical now, but it'll be critical then. See, it doesn't matter if you have 10 people or 10,000 people. The ingredients have to be the same. If we're to unite, be, be effective in uniting the bride, it has to be more than what we are. You have to go outside yourself. And that was the thing that frustrated me the most. Just, just you know, I, I haven't been a pastor long, but I've been in church administration for... I don't know, goodness, 20, 27, 28 years. And it's always been about building the local body. It's never been about maybe building that body over there. How, how surprising would it be as a pastor and as a church if we focused on building a church in Wilmington that had nothing to do with us? Except that they're the bride. Except that we want to build unity together. See, that's how it's supposed to be. And that is our calling. And that's what we will do. And that's, by the way, even as small as we are, that's what we have done. We have gone to other churches to help them, not for anything for ourselves. 
And that, that's, that's what he wants the bride to be. But it starts with the relationship that we build here. And as he opens up our realm of influence, if you will, that can't change. It can't change. We have to be able to have what we have here right now when we're at one, two, three, four, five thousand people. We can't let it change. Because then the bride will not come together. See, the bride isn't just us, right? And we are going to get to Colossians. <laughs> I promise. Although I, I, think, I think part of what he's saying in Colossians, I, I love what Paul does. You know, Paul did not know the people, the church at Colossae. He's writing them and, and he's saying, uh, you know, I've heard of your reputation. I've, I've heard of your ministry. And, and I, I'm, I'm not there physically, but I'm there in spirit. Because, see, Paul loved the bride. Didn't matter if it was a church that he had planted or not. It mattered to him that they loved the Lord. Why? Because he was supposed to love the Lord his God with all his heart, all his soul, all his mind. But then he's supposed to love his neighbor as himself. And how much more so, the Bible says, to those who know the Lord. See, that love, that's, that love is supposed to be for everybody, not just believers. That's loving everybody. But Paul says, how much more for those who also love the Lord? Because then there's a connection. So turn to Colossians chapter 1. And we're going to begin in verse 24. Father, fill my mouth with your words, as I've already prayed this. Let none of mine slip through, but only yours. Because, God, this idea of love and relationship, and, and not just relationship with you, but relationship with each other, I know you want us to get it. Because I know sometimes it takes a two-by-four over the head for me. But, but I get it, Lord. I get it. And so speak through me in this. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 24. Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. And before I go on, I want you to notice something there. Because it's easy to read the word of God and miss little things that are like, wow, did you just say that? What he just talked about was something that was lacking in Christ's afflictions when he was here. What does that mean? That Christ didn't go through something that now Paul has to go through? No. It's that we take part in Christ's afflictions when we're called to his work. Okay, so, so remember, Christ is no longer here. Christ is sitting at the right hand of the Father up in heaven. Christ, as a man, fully man, 100% man, 100% God, sitting at the right hand of the Father, he is no longer in his afflictions, but yet the afflictions are such an important part of testimony. You ever notice that? Why is it that everybody in the Word of God that, ha that did anything for God, 
they seem to have so many stinking things happen in their lives. And, and Paul is like the pinnacle of that. You know, he, everything happened to Paul. As a matter of fact, he, he has this, this laundry list that he lists, and it's like, it's like this resume of woe, <laughs> right? So, so it makes you wonder, why is that the case? Because the world can look at that and say, good night, I don't want to be a Christian. Everything bad happens to you guys, right? Paul just explained why. Because, see, Christ's afflictions, Christ's afflictions were what showed that love that he had for us. So, so Paul taking part in Christ's afflictions were what was happening right then as an example for this church at Colossae. He's saying, he's, he's saying here, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Why? They didn't know him. Why is it for their sake? Because of his love. Because of the, the love that's produced for people he didn't know. The love that was produced for those people through those sufferings had an effect on those people. Even though he didn't know them. He'd never met them. But his life through those afflictions had an effect on them. He wanted relationship with them. Verse 25, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given me for you. Ooh. So see, he had never met them, but it did not mean that they were not within his realm of responsibility. Don't think that what God is doing in this church is just in this church. You have a responsibility outside of this church. You have a responsibility outside of your own life, outside of your circle of friends. You have a responsibility to show Christ, to show love. See, Paul said he is stewarding that calling, that reason he became a minister, and it was given to him for them, people he had never met before. Why? To make the word of God fully known. Verse 26. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now is revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We talked about this last week. There was this great mystery in the Old Testament. This great mystery, because who, who, are the, who are God's chosen people? It's Israel, right? Okay? So if you have that paradigm from the Old Testament, then unless you became Jewish, unless you believed in the Jewish rituals, in the law, you couldn't be saved. To be saved in the Old Testament meant that you took on the belief that there was a coming Messiah. You took on the belief of the law and what it meant and what it did for you. And what Paul is saying here is, is this hidden mystery in the Old Testament that he is revealing now and that God just recently revealed is the fact that Gentiles, which is everybody else, everybody who's not Jewish, were grafted in. 
We're grafted into this same promise. We can take what was promised Israel in terms of God being their God, in terms of a Messiah being their king, in terms of salvation coming to them, living with their God for eternity, that promise became available to us, became available to the Gentile. Now, now understand, the church at Colossae is a Gentile church. Okay, This is right at the switch. This is right at the time when all these people are, are, are of the understanding that, well, that's Israel, and that's their God, and I have no part in their God unless I take on their ways. That's the mind frame. And what Paul is saying is that this great mystery hidden in the Old Testament was what, what is now being revealed is that you're part of this. You're part of this thing called the bride. You're part of this thing that, that gives relationship with Jesus Christ and gives relationship together. And, and by the way, as, as Paul is saying to them here, by the way, you're supposed to have a relationship with me even though you don't know me. You're supposed to have a relationship with other churches that are the bride that you don't know. This great mystery where we were grafted in. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Verse 28. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. See, Paul laid out his whole goal right there. His whole goal, his entire thing, to present the people that God has placed in his life, placed before him, to present them mature. You know, I find that interesting because we know that's what Jesus did. We know the reason he died on the cross and the Father rose him from the grave through the power of the Holy Spirit. The reason for that was to come before the throne and present us. Right? Jesus presented us, and because we had this in, when we accept Jesus Christ as Savior, we have this in before the Father. That in is Jesus Christ. It's kind of like knowing somebody. You know, you want to get into a free concert, you kind of, you got to know somebody, right? And you get in for free. See, we know Jesus Christ. So we could get into heaven for free. We know him. He did everything. He paid our ticket for us. But we have, we have to show up and we have to take the ticket. We have to accept the ticket. But then what he does, was that not started? Did it go off? <laughs> Are you focusing on, on my pretty face? Is that, yeah. <laughs> That's what I thought. That's what I thought. See, Jesus pays the entire price for us. But then he says, you, you need to come in here because I got this other person that I want you to meet. And, and as you develop a relationship with them, there's going to be this power that works that's going to mature you. That's what Paul's saying right here. He said that we may present everyone mature in Christ. This is what I struggle with. 
for. This is what I toil for. This is what I, all that junk that I have to put up in my life with, that's what I do it for. Not for my own sake. I'm already saved, folks. I already got my ticket. <laughs> I could just sit here and I could just have fellowship with these people, this church that I planted. But, but no, God wants me to struggle and toil with his energy, it says, that he powerfully worked within Paul. Toil for what? For the presenting of those people he doesn't even know. See, if this isn't uniting the bride, I don't know what is. It's working and caring for others aside from yourself. That works with churches too. As a church, we need to care for other churches more than we care for ourselves. We have to care for the bride. It, it, it drives me nuts. What church do you go to? Or what, what, what church are you a part of? God's. I, I, I'm, I mean, God's church. Well, yeah, no, I know that. But I mean, what, what church? You, you, mean, you mean, what group do I hang out with? Because that's really what it is. The group that I see the most of, well, we call it ignition. But, you know, we're really more about developing relationships outside of ignition. I, I thought it was funny. Because when ignition first started, um, way before I thought it was going to be a church, before the Lord revealed that, it was basically a ministry, and the, and the whole focus, even back then, it was, it was just college age at that point, but the focus was drawing together the different churches. Because I looked in the area, and, and in this area where we are, I mean, the, I think the largest focused college age ministry was only 50 to 60 people that I could find, consistent. And not that there wouldn't be other other things. And I'm not talking about campus ministries. I'm talking about local church bodies. And and so so we started this with the idea that that we're gonna have these meetings off off campus, because we we're at a particular church at that point. We're gonna have these meetings off campus for the idea of bringing the churches together. Because all churches needed it for this age group. And and God started to do that. Our idea was not growth in the local church, our church that we were part of. Our idea was bringing the bride together for the growth of the bride. Do you see the difference? Do you understand what I'm saying? This is important to get because if you are concerned with the local, what you're a part of, you're never going to be a part of the bigger picture. And see, when he looks at the bride, he looks at us as a whole. He looks at all of his children as a whole. And that, that's, what, that's what Paul's talking about, about presenting that bride mature in Christ. Understanding the relationship that Christ offers with him. Understanding the relationship that when Christ is in the middle, we can have relationship together. Whether, whether we're the same or different, doesn't matter. Because we have that buffer right in the middle that's Jesus Christ, right? Verse 1 of chapter 2. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. All these others that, that have been listening to what Paul's teaching is 
and moving forward with that even though they have never met him. Verse 2, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love. Okay, understand that. He's not talking about one church. Right? He just talked about Colossae and Laodicea, two different churches. And he says that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love. That's relationship. Not relationship with Jesus Christ. Relationship together through Jesus Christ. Do you see the difference? This is what Paul's talking about here. To reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. See, in Jesus Christ, and when we build relationship with him, there are these nuggets of wisdom these nuggets of information that he gives that literally facilitates that expression of relationship with him and with each other. As as we get to know one another, we understand that that relationship requires an understanding of God and what God wants in it, right? See, this is really, really important. And that's what Paul's talking about here. And he says, there's a reason why it's important to have that wisdom and knowledge. It's, it's a, there's a reason why you want these treasures that Jesus gives. Why? Because of verse 4. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. That's a fancy way of saying, I don't want anybody to be able to talk you out of the truth. I don't want anybody to be able to debate with you the truth and pull you from the truth of God. See, if we're not in relationship with Jesus Christ, if we're not in relationship with each other, which produces accountability, then we can fall from the very truth because of some plausible argument. Man, I I can't tell you how many times, how many times I have seen people get sucked into the most ridiculous thought patterns. (laughs) I won't even bring that up. But you've all seen it. I mean, you look at someone, how in the world do you believe that? How in the world? Satan is so good at it. I, say it, I, I won't even say that because it will be offensive. <laughs> Satan is so good at getting people to believe things that are just flat-out lies. Why? Because of plausible arguments. You know, I, I don't understand why it had to be such an argument, but Satan used it for, for this, this whole thing for, year, for the last 50 years about, about um, uh, creation versus evolution. You know, for for so many years, the plausible argument was, wait wait a second, it's it's wrong because the universe is billions of years old. By the way, there's proof. And you know what? Christians get hooked into that kind of stuff. They get hooked into this idea of actually arguing that. 
which, which is, is mind-boggling to me because it doesn't matter. It truly doesn't matter in terms of who God is because there is only one truth. But understand that, that these plausible arguments can sound logical. And, and just to kind of tie up that loose end there. See, I, I believe that the earth could be billions of years old. I don't know. I wasn't there. And by the way, time wasn't there. Time hadn't started yet. God's outside of time. If, if time began at a certain point and God had started creation before that point, it, it really wouldn't matter if that was a minute in our thinking or 10 billion years in our thinking because time was not in God's thinking. And, and understand that when he set up the seven days, when he said this night and morning become the first day, he is setting up a pattern to teach us because he had not breathed life yet. He had not breathed time yet. So why do we argue about that? Why, what does it matter to me when I'm talking to somebody who believes in evolution, what does it matter to me arguing whether the earth is thousands of years old or a billion years old? It doesn't take away from the preeminence of my Savior. It doesn't take away from who he is. That's what I need to be engaging in. And see, us as Christians get pulled into this all the time. I'd say when... When I deal with a new Christian, someone that, that perhaps was just led to the Lord and, we, and, and I'm beginning to disciple them, that's the first thing that we deal with is, is understand Satan is going to try and get you into arguments. He's going to try and get you into debates. That's what Paul's saying right here. He's saying through relationship, I, I want to get you to a point where you have this wisdom and knowledge in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Watch out for the arguments that make sense, but make no sense. And it's relationship. It's the building of that wisdom of God that goes against that. Verse 5. For though I am absent in the body, yet I am with you in spirit. Rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith. Paul had love for these people he had never met. Paul had a love for their church. Paul had a love for, for the people that hadn't come into the church yet. These were Gentiles. These weren't Jews. Wow, what a paradigm shift for, for Paul. <laughs> right? What an what a amazing paradigm shift. Here, here he, w- he was this zealot to, to literally keep everything within the confine, on confines of Judaism. And God thrusts him out of that and said, you know, they're not even going to be who I have you talk to. <laughs> I'm going to have and and think about it. Back then, the Gentiles were thought of really is pigs. They were thought of as these are not our people. So how do we think of that? 
When someone isn't part of our church, do we think, well, you know, they're just not our people? But are they God's people? Yeah. If they've accepted Jesus Christ, guess what? They're family. Now, I know some of us don't like family. I get that. But they're family. Those who are part of the body of Christ are family. How do we reach out to that family? I started a story a little bit earlier. Again, when when we started this ministry, it was a college ministry. But never thought that God would form it into a local church body. And I remember thinking when we did our logo... When we first did it, the tagline, if you look at our logo now, the tagline is, there's an army rising up, right? That's not what it used to be. It used to be, when it, if, if, I don't even know if you can, but if you go way back on Facebook at the very beginning, it, I don't know if you could still pull up you know, what, what thing pictures were that we had back then, but the, the logo said, not a church, but a movement. That's what it was. We never thought of this as a church. We had no clue what God was going to do. But, but we thought in terms of this is a movement. Why? Because God is calling us to, to really let everybody know, hey, we're part of the same family. God wants to unite the bride. He wants to bring us together. And, and I'll never forget one of the prophecies that, that was uh, shared over me. When uh, Wendy and Anissa and I went down to North Carolina to, to meet with um, uh, Wesley and Stacy Campbell, and the pastor there, and I, I can't even remember his name, but he came up to me and he said, Lord has a word for you. I've got I to give you this word. He's, he, he gave it to me a couple days ago, and, and i just got to give this to you. And so as he's giving me this word, of course, he doesn't know me. I've never met him. He was the local pastor down there. And he's giving this word about ignition. And, and see, by that time, we were a church. But one of the things that was said was, I, I know you're a pastor, but, but I, I guess you kind of have a church. You know, and he's listening to the Lord telling him stuff, right, to tell me. Now, I guess you kind of have a church, and... But, but that doesn't really make sense. He, he said, it's really more of a movement. I don't know if that makes sense to you. And I just started laughing, got this big old smile on my face, and I said, yeah, it's the church part that didn't make sense to me. Because, yes, we're a part of a movement. We're a part of a movement to get the bride to see how much Jesus loves them and how they're part of a bigger family. They don't have to separate themselves out out of fear anymore. Why, why do churches separate themselves? It's to get their own. Why, why do they want to get bigger to, to have? It, it, it's masked in this idea of reaching more people. But Satan is deceptive. It's those plausible arguments. For the last 50 years, it's been build a big ministry. You will draw people in. Build a big ministry, you'll draw, have, have this great program, you'll draw them in, and then, and then you got them. Then you got them, and you can, you can get them saved, and you can get them 
discipled and, and, and they're there. Yeah? If you don't have a revolving door as a church, you're making a mistake. And I don't mean revolving because they hate you. <laughs> I'm talking about revolving because new people come in, they become trained, they become passionate, they become excited, and it's time to go. Unless you're called to stay here as part of the training or something, you got to go. Why? Because we got to get this word out. Why? Because we're not a church, we're a movement. The bride is a movement. It's a move of God. You hear this idea of a move of the Holy Spirit. That's the movement. That's the love. And that's not just love for Jesus Christ. That's love for each other. We have to love the churches around here. And by the way, they may not love us. Most of them think we're a cult. <laughs> we are a cult, technically. Because we believe in a risen, living Savior. Doesn't mean we can change our love for them. It doesn't mean any of that changes. Because this isn't circumstantial ethics. Based on our circumstance, we'll give a, a love for you or not. <laughs> if that's what it is, we're really off track. Because that's what it's been. Build a big program, get them in. How about a love? Man, when Jesus came to this earth, he was such an opposite. This thing's driving me nuts today. I don't know what it is. I need some super glue. Just glue it to my head. When Jesus came to this earth, he was such a different thought process. It wasn't about draw them to me. It was, I will go to them. So for 50 years, 50 years plus, we've had this idea of building church to draw them in to give us more capability to do bigger church. And that just doesn't make sense. How do you reach the world that way? You can't even fit them. You know, what are you going to grow the church to millions? We have 50,000 services a day. You know, no, it doesn't work. It doesn't work that way. You have to go to them. You have to go where they are. Jesus went to their town. He went into their synagogue. He went to their place. And he shared himself with them. That's what we need to do. As a church, we need to invite to be in relationship with local churches. And guess what? Most of them aren't going to want to do it. That's okay. That's, that's not up to us. We just stand there with our arms open. I will guarantee you one thing, though. I don't know of a single pastor that would, I mean, unless they believe in different things and that's the issue or whatever, but I don't know a single pastor that if we said, we know you're having this program, we want to come and we want it to be the most awesome thing that you've ever done. Can we help? What do you think they're going to say? Well, they might say, why? <laughs> But what if there wasn't anything in it for us? 
And we just want to come and help you. You, you. you have this amazing Christmas program or whatever, and we just want to pour into that. Well, why? Because well, you're our brothers and sisters. Because you're the bride. Because we want relationship with you. And if the only way we can have relationship is for us to step toward you, then no problem. We'll step. Because, see, our goal isn't building a big church. Our goal is building the church, the body of Christ, of which we're not the leader, by the way. Christ is. We're just his servant. That's all Paul was doing. That's all he was doing. He cared for the churches that he planted and cared for the churches that he didn't plant just the same. It was the same thing to him. It was the body of Christ. That's all. It didn't matter their credentials. It didn't matter their pedigree. Honestly, it didn't matter their specific doctrine. Now, Paul was really good with dealing with things of doctrinal differences. Just read First and Second Corinthians. <laughs> but it didn't change his love. It didn't change his effort. It didn't change the fact that he stepped to them. See, his local church was the overall body. That's what was important. That's what needs to be important to us. Because if we are to be part of this movement, this move of the Spirit, this revival that God is bringing down, we have to understand that relationship is with each other as well as Jesus Christ. It's with us here. I mean, look around. How well do you know the people in here? How, how many walls have been broken down between you? You know? I mean, really think about that. Because you can, you can look, well, I know them. I know them. But how well do you know them? Those walls need to be broken down for the sake of the body. For the sake of the movement, for the sake of this love, for the sake of your own relationship with Jesus Christ. See, you cannot get past a certain point of your closeness with Jesus if you do not become close with his body. It doesn't work. Why? Because of what we read in Matthew 22. You have to come close to the people that he loves. Because when you do that, you get a different lens for everybody else. You have this lens for the world to see them as he sees them. He loves them. That's why we should be a church that is never offended. If somebody calls us a cult, does that offend me? No. If somebody says, well, they're off the deep end, and we hear this all the time, they're off the deep end, and, and should that hurt us? No. Jump in. The water's great. <laughs> We're in the deep end. If you sink, we'll lift you up. We have floaties. <laughs> right? There's no reason to be offended. 
Why? Because Jesus Christ is real. And you have real relationship with him. And that's the important thing. And with that, we have real relationship together. But it's not supposed to stop here. That's our calling, is to take it outside the doors. Each of you have relationships with other people, both saved and unsaved, but those who are saved, you have relationships with other people in other churches. It's not about trying to get them to come here. It's about developing a relationship so we bond. How about try to get the churches to bond? I, I remember when we first started Ignition, the young people that went to the other churches, I'm like, you know, hey, hey, you know, we were thinking about, you know, coming in and checking out Sunday morning. I'm thinking, well, what, what church are you a part of? Blank, blank, blank. I said, well, then why? Why do you want to do that? I mean, that, that, that's awesome if you, if you don't have a church home. But see, I would rather, if, if, if they're with us and they're back at the other church, now all of a sudden we have a way of having relationship with that church. We have a way of letting them know that we love them. Do you see what I'm saying? So I, I think God wants to change our paradigm on church. I think he wants to change how we do business. I mean, he's certainly done that here. Josh and I were talking about that this morning because, <laughs> oh God, he just does some cool things. Just the paradigms. You know, this, this idea of, we, we, we were talking about the music ministry and, and what God wants to do with that and, and, and on, a, on a larger scale. And it, it, it really is the same philosophy applied to a different ministry. You, you want to have effectiveness as a music ministry and, and, and you know, get big and everything else because God's already told us that's going to happen. But it's not for the purpose of getting big. It's for the purpose of getting that, that, that expression of love to people who don't have it. So how about take a different philosophy? Don't charge for your music. How about that? You know, how about instead of doing a, a big promotion to try and get people in to come to some concert, you know, how, how about just offering them everything in, in their, just readily available in their grasp, going to them? Taking it to them. Not worrying about, why, why, do, why do some of these groups charge this money? It's to perpetuate ministry, which, which is a good thing. But that's the philosophy that God wants to change. You know, all these groups that, that, that are going into music for ministry's sake, this is one of the plausible arguments that Satan gives us. Well, you've got to make money. You've got to have money to produce the ministry. Why? 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 Paul never said that. The Bible never says that. In fact, the Bible says the opposite of that. The Bible says, I will give you everything you need. Right? For 1 Corinthians 
But my, my God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. I, I don't think in there it says anything that I'll give you a, a plan and a formula to produce this way to make money to produce the ministry. It just, it just drives me nuts. It drives me insane. There's no faith in that. That's why we do things different here. And, and I gotta tell you, as a pastor, it's so awesome to not have to worry about it. So many pastors that I know, they were consumed by how they're gonna pay the bills, how they're gonna, you know, do this program, do that program. Being, being head of the music ministry, it was, it was, it was about, well, how, how am I, how am I gonna get this in the budget? Can I fight to get this in the budget so we can do these things? That's where God started to change my paradigm. Wait a second. Lord, you said that you'll provide everything. What happens if we just trust Him in that? Okay, you'll provide everything. I trust you. We did that when we started this church, and I can tell you there is nothing, nothing that he is not provided for. You know, we needed for, and we're, we're a small church, we needed $14,000 to go to Nigeria, a group of us. That, that's a lot of money to raise for a small church. Not only did we raise that, but then God kind of capped it off when we got there. And gave us this huge amount of extra, more than 10% extra. If that isn't that 2 Corinthians 9.8, I don't know what is. I'll provide for you everything. That's what Josh and I were talking about this morning. The music ministry, God will provide that. He'll provide opportunity. He'll provide the funding. He'll provide everything. He does that. He wants to do that. He wants to be the leader of the church. We're the bride. He's the bridegroom. He's the leader. Why don't we let him be? Why do we take responsibility on ourselves that really, all it is is a headache. And we don't need that in your own life. How does that apply in your own life? Do you take responsibility on yourself, that's really God's responsibility? I'll tell you what. Finances are the biggest plausible thing that Satan uses to take us away from God's wisdom. Because there's nothing that breaks up more marriages. There's nothing that, that makes it harder to trust God than finances. Why? Because that's how the world works. We need money. We need money. When all God's saying is, no, you just need me. And by the way, you just need to trust me. I said I'll give you everything. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Do you trust me? See, it, it applies personally. Do you trust him for your provision? Do you trust him when you take a step toward him in relationship? Do you trust him to step toward you? Because sometimes, no, I won't even say sometimes, every time, he needs you to take that step first. The trust comes before the provision. Because 
when we try to get the provision first, then there's no room for trust. Do, do we trust him? I can tell you as a church, we trust him. We place it on his shoulder. I don't want it on my shoulders. Nobody else wants it on their shoulders. It's on God's shoulders, and, and what he does is awesome. But how about in your own life? Do you trust him with what he promises you? He promises love. Do you trust him for that love? He promises relationships. Do you trust him for that relationship? Or do you go out and try and get it on your own? See, there's so many things, so many areas of our lives that we can place before God and kind of take the reins. It's like, it's, it's kind of like, you know, those old-fashioned uh, uh, horse and buggies where you've got, you got a seat for two. It's kind of like Jesus is sitting next to you and you just take the reins from him. And I'll, I'll drive for a while. Never drove a carriage before. We take the reins because we want the control. And he's like, if you just trust me, if you trust me, I'll provide that. And then there are going to be some areas where I teach you how to drive. I'm going to teach you how to trust me and drive. Why? Because I need you to teach others. I need you to take my place in discipleship. That's what Jesus said, because Jesus went to be with the Father. He went to be our advocate in heaven. He said, we need to represent him on the earth. We have to trust him. You can't get to the point of, of training if you have not gone through the training yourself. And that's what he's been doing in this church, and it's just the most beautiful thing to me. I love to watch it. I love to watch the maturing of people. I, I, I understand what Paul meant when he said to present them mature. It's just awesome. But we have to give it to him. We have to trust him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we worship you. We praise you. You are almighty God. And Lord, I am just so in awe of what you do in teaching this idea of relationship. Not just relationship with you, because a large part of it is relationship together. Because you're not just this singled out God that wants relationship with us individually, and, and that's satisfying to you. You are a God that wants relationship with everybody together. Like this big party. This big loving family. That's what you want. That's what you picture. That's, that's what Revelation 3.9 is all about. About the, the bride becoming this family ready to receive you. Oh, Father, we trust you. We step out and we trust you. I pray for each person here as they examine their own life and examine the areas that you're pointing out to them right now 
as I am praying this and saying these words, you're pointing out in their heart right now areas that they've taken the reins. Father, pour your love. Pour your 1 Corinthians 13 love out on that relationship right now, on that person right now. Show them that they can give back the reins. Because that sweet fellowship with you requires trust. That sweet fellowship with their brothers and sisters, that requires trust. Build in us, Father, a trust. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, okay. Tuesday night, we are going to do something a little bit different for the service, and um, we really want to invite you to come and